truth of God's Word as it's summarized in Article 29 of our Belgic Confession, which is an article that helps us to discern what is the true church? What ought it to look like? How does it how is it set apart from that which is the false church? But as we prepare to do that, I'd like to read with you from 2 Timothy chapters 3 and 4. We're going to start at verse 10 of chapter 3. This is one of arguably one of Paul's final books before he went to the grave. And he's instructing Timothy, who we believe was probably ministering in Ephesus at the time. He's helping to mentor and develop Timothy's ministry, helping him to understand what he needs to look for both within the church and among those to whom he ministers, but also within himself. And he says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing in His kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Amen. Now, Article 29 of our Confession having laid out for us what is the church Catholic, what is the church universal, and then having reminded us of the importance of being joined to the local church, to the the local body of the Lord, it then helps us to understand what's that local body look like. To that end, it says we believe that we ought diligently and circumspectly to discern from the word of God which is the true church, since all sects which are in the world assume to themselves the name of the church. But we speak not here of hypocrites who are mixed in the church with the good, yet are not of the church, though externally in it. But we say that the body and communion of the true church must be distinguished from all sects that call themselves the church. The marks by which the true church is known are these. If the pure doctrine of the gospel is preached therein, if it maintains the pure administration of the sacraments as instituted by Christ, if church discipline is exercised in punishing of sin, in short, if all things are managed according to the pure word of God, all things contrary thereto rejected, 
And Jesus Christ acknowledged as only head, as the only head of the church. Hereby the true church may certainly be known from which no man has a right to separate himself. With respect to those who are members of the church, they may be known by the marks of Christians, namely, by faith. And when having received Christ, Jesus Christ as the only Savior, they avoid sin, follow after righteousness, love the true God and their neighbor, neither turn aside to the right or left, and crucify the flesh with the works thereof. But this is not to be understood as if there did not remain in them great infirmities, but they fight against them through the Spirit all the days of their life, continually taking their refuge in the blood, death, passion, and obedience of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whom they have remission of sins through faith in Him. As for the false church, it ascribes more power and authority to itself and its ordinances than to the Word of God, and will not submit itself to the yoke of Christ. Neither does it administer the sacraments as appointed by Christ in His Word, but adds to and takes from them as it thinks proper. It relies more upon men than upon Christ, and it persecutes those who live holy, holily according to the Word of God, and rebuke it for its errors, covetousness, and idolatry. These two churches are easily known and distinguished from each other. Amen. Beloved disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ, there are some who dismiss this article of our confession as antiquated and no longer applicable. Back then, they say, when this was written, there were really only two choices, Protestant and Catholic. And it was easy to distinguish between them because they were so radically different. Everything truly was black and white, they say, in a way that it is not in our modern age. Well, to some degree, they aren't wrong to say that things are more complex today. There are more people. The church has reached more cultures, and within the church, there's more variety than was dreamed of in the age of the Reformation. However, this article of our confession is both helpful and accurate, and I would dare say essential to our age, precisely because of that increase in variety, that increase in diversity. Here's where the complaint against Article 27 is wrong. Evaluating churches in the time of the Reformation was not a simple matter. To be sure, there were Catholics and Protestants, but among the Catholics, there were some who had departed from the erroneous doctrines of Rome without having separated from the government of the church. And among the Protestant churches, there was significant variety, some of the differences being minor, relatively speaking, but many of them being substantial in terms of doctrine and worship. And there were many sects that called themselves the church, Anabaptists of various stripes. Baptists whose doctrine was orthodox, but whose sacramental practices were not. And, and small groups like the Waldensians, whose doctrine was highly suspect. Christians in that age had to be just as discerning as we do in evaluating churches. And Article 29 was written to help them do that well. That's why this article is so essential for us. We need to be able to discern among the churches which are the true and which are the false. And as members of the church, we need to discern ourselves 
evaluate ourselves, ask how we ourselves are presenting that which has been entrusted to us. Lest we be found to be unfaithful stewards who are just coasting and being influenced by the world. We need to be able to, to discern the true church. And Article 29 helps us to do that by showing us the visibility of the church where Christ is king. So that's our theme this evening. We confess the visibility of the church where Christ is king. And really that starts by identifying its essential marks. But we really need to say a few things in preparation for looking at those marks. Understand what this article is not calling us to do. I mean, it's calling us to diligently and circumspectly discern, to, to carefully discern what is the true church and what is not. But, but it's not calling us to do that in order to find the perfect church. I think that's a temptation for us, especially here where we live. Where there's dozen reformed churches within a ten minute drive of pretty much anywhere. And where there's a temptation to try to find that one that checks all the boxes, that does everything just right, that, that doesn't have all the flaws of that other church to which we belong. If we do that, we'll just make a lifestyle of leaving churches. Because the only perfect church is the church comprised of those saints that have gone before us into glory, who have already been perfected from all of their failures and flaws and sins. Nor, nor is this article calling us to seek out the pure church in every congregation that remains in this fallen world. There is hypocrisy and there is sin. And there will be until Christ returns to separate out the hypocrites from the true believers and to purify the true believers into perfection. So to be clear, we're not seeking here the perfect church or the perfectly pure church, nor, by the way, are we seeking to judge denominations. To be sure, there are denominations of churches that confess and, and proclaim lies that arguably would mean that every church that is a part of them, every body that is a part of them, is separated from Christ. That's possible. But this isn't calling us to judge denominations, because denominations and federations, they're not the church. It's the body that gathers together that is the church. It is the body that gathers together that we're called to exercise discernment with regard to. We have to do not with federations or denominations, but individual congregations of people that call themselves the church. Paul told Timothy in the passage we just read, you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions. You have followed them. What's he mean by that? You've studied them. You've cherished them. You've imitated them. You've followed after the path that was laid out before you by the one who brought you to the Lord. That's what Paul says to Timothy. And that's what the Lord says to us as the church. Our beliefs, our teaching, our lifestyle in the world are on display. 
And it is these that men will and must judge. And when we do that with regard to a church, we do it not so that we can feel superior, nor so that we can disdain those that fall short. We do it so that we can know to which church we must belong. Perhaps God will lead you at some point to need to move to a different place in order to take care of distant family or in order to take a different job. Young people, perhaps the Lord will at some point lead you to take up a career that leads you to live at least for a time in a different place or maybe to go to to a school that is in a different place. And should that happen, we have to find what church we need to attend. To which church must we be joined? That's not a small matter, nor is it something that we should take in any way lightly. Now, in, in helping us to discern which is the true church, our confession refers to three marks, three characteristics. But understand, those three marks are merely indicators that reveal the heart of the church. Ultimately, what we're seeking is not to check off the right boxes. What we're seeking is to understand the, the allegiance of the church, the priority of the church. Whom does this congregation serve as its king? Right? Who sits on the throne of this group of people? And we find that priority in three closely related attitudes. Are all things managed according to the word of God? Do the people seek to hear and follow the voice of the Good Shepherd? In 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul spoke of this when he commended the church in Thessalonica, saying, We thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you. The true church will do that. They won't say, Oh, we follow after this amazing minister or we are devoted to this particular theologian. No, they'll say we love the Word of God. We cherish the Word of God. We want our lives to reflect the Word of God. We worship according to the commands of the... You get that? They're not following men. They're following the man. They're following Christ Jesus. He's their king and so it is to His Word that they attend. And so... On the contrary, not only are all things managed according to the true word of God, but all things contrary are rejected. A church that submits to Christ will reject what God hates. On the one hand, they will confess with Psalm 139 verse 17, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! They they delight in God's word, but at the same time, They will pray, do I not hate those who hate you, Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? Right? They're learning to love what God loves and hate what God hates and identify themselves with what God reveals to them. Self-consciously, they have that attitude that only Christ is the head of the church. Not their denomination, not their confession, not their minister or their elders, but Christ is the head of the church. He is the one whom they follow, by whom they are identified. We do well to ask, is that descriptive of us? Do we as a church strive to manage all things according to God's word? The worship we offer, is it the worship that God has commanded? 
The doctrine we confess. Is it the truth that Christ has revealed to us? The lives we seek to lead. Is that reflective of God's law? Young people. This is why in catechism class we urge you, might even say command you, to bring your Bibles and keep them open. Because you're not to believe me and what I teach. You're not to believe Elder Veerson and what he teaches or Elder Chapkis and what he teaches. You're to take what we teach and say, is that what God says? And then you believe God. In other words, you believe us because what we say is what God says. And if the two don't match, then you believe God's Word. Is that true of us? Is God's Word central to the life, to the heart of this congregation? And is it precious to us? Do we as a congregation study God's Word? Seek to know it intimately, appeal to it, quote it, encourage each other with it? Is that the, the source of the comfort that we bring to one another in, in times of trial? And is that where we turn to sing our praises when God has blessed us? Are we rejecting what God rejects? Are we willing to judge our traditions and our practices on the basis of God's Word? Are we praying with Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Is Christ the only King who has authority in this church? That's what we're called to ask. Because if a congregation is managing all things according to the command of our King, we're going to see that. Now Article 29 points to three marks of the church, and those three marks are important, in part because they stand at the heart of how God has promised to nourish and nurture His people, but also in part because they're visible. They're easy to see and to discern. He looks to the preaching of the Word. If the pure doctrine of the Gospel is preached, the true church always takes seriously the preaching of the Word because they recognize that that's the means by which Christ molds and shapes His people. By means of the Word faithfully preached, True faith is imparted to the hearts of the elect. By means of the word preached, our sin is revealed and, and crushed. By means of the word preached, we are comforted in our times of affliction and we are afflicted in the midst of our sin. That's why Paul so earnestly commanded Timothy, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. That's why in Titus 1, he emphasized that the elders must be able to use God's Word in order to re refute those who teach lies. We're to be able to use that Word in a way that reflects the truth of God and, and equips the people of God. Second mark, if it maintains the pure administration of the sacraments as instituted by Christ. Sacraments are important. Christ gave us two images to reveal Him. Not a whole book. Not a bunch of artwork. He gave us two images. Baptism. Which shows us the heart of the promise of the gospel that comes to every single person in the covenant. He will cleanse us. He will wash us of everything impure and make us acceptable to the, the Lord our God. And the Lord's Supper 
by means of the brokenness that Christ embraced, the, the punishment, the wrath of God that He endured, we are fed unto eternal life. And because we are all fed by the one bread, because we are all nourished by the one wine, we are one in Christ. Beautiful images. But are we celebrating them in the way that Christ has commanded? That's the question. Is the church celebrating the sacraments in the way that He commanded? Or have they turned them into superstition? Have they transformed them in the way of traditions? Do they bother to explain, to teach to one another the significance of them? Do they ensure that they're given to those for whom they were intended and withheld from those whom they could harm? And then third is church discipline exercised in the punishing of sin. Church discipline is extremely unpopular. And yet God commands the church to discipline as an act of love. By means of the discipline of the church, the person who has allowed himself to be enmeshed in sin is shown the significance and the cost of his sin. That he might be drawn out of it and back to Christ. And the rest of the church is shown that sin is serious. It's not something to be winked at and laughed about. It's something that will draw us away from Christ and separate us from all His blessings. So these are the marks that we seek, not because these are the sum and substance of the church, but because these show whether Christ is or is not the King of the church. So we need to seek those out diligently. We need to seek them out if we're looking for the true church. But we need to use that also to evaluate ourselves. Are we showing forth in the way that we live, in the way that we worship, in the way that we are as a church, are we making it clear that Christ is on the throne and Christ alone? Well, that's all well and good, but there's a second aspect that we need to consider, and that's the fact that the church, it's not a building. And it's not an organization, it's a people. People who are different and complex, who together comprise the church. Now, of course, even in churches that bear all three marks very clearly, there will be hypocrites. Yet we can expect that the bulk of the members will belong to Jesus and they will show that in their life. And so our second point is that the true church is advertised by faithful members. What do the members of the church look like? Consider the characteristics that are named in Article 29. With respect to those who are members of the church, they may be known by the marks of Christians, namely, by faith. By faith. They know and believe the truth of the gospel and they believe that it's true for them. By faith, they receive Jesus Christ, the only Savior. They don't believe in Jesus and their good works. They don't trust in Jesus and their church membership. They trust in Jesus alone to save them from their sin. And because they trust in Jesus, they avoid sin. Repentance always goes along with faith because as we trust in Christ, as we see the importance of Christ, we're humbled in the face of our sin and we seek to turn from it. They avoid sin and they follow after righteousness. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Paul said all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correcting, for training in righteousness. We need that correction and reproof of God's Word to transform us, to make us into 
true disciples. We follow after righteousness which leads us to love God and our neighbor. That's not talking about warm fuzzy feelings. That's talking about concretely weeping with those who weep and rejoicing with those who rejoice. Offering hospitality to those who are in need. Forgiving those who sin against us. And putting aside that which would offend God. They turn aside neither to the right nor to the left says the confession. That speaks of perseverance. True Christians don't act one way on Sunday and a different way Monday through Saturday. No, they show forth that same character, that same faith, that same spirit-driven sanctification day after day after day. And by means of that, they crucify the flesh with the works thereof. That speaks of motivation. They want to be like Christ because they trust in Him, because He has so blessed them. They want to reflect Him in all the world. They want to show their gratitude to Him. These characteristics should be evident in the members of the church. How Christians live should be different from how non-Christians live. How God's children live should reflect the character of their Father. Not perfectly. We're, we're still sinners. We're still wrestling. But we are wrestling. Right? We are growing. Understand, this too is a necessary mark of the true church. To some extent, the other marks of the church could be faked. I mean, you know, the minister could get up there and, and speak true words every Sunday. We could keep the sacraments in a way that looks faithful, even though we're just doing it out of tradition. We could exercise a form of church discipline in the punishing of sins. But if the members don't reveal Christ and the fruit of true faith, then all of the rest of that is a lie. And true Christians will reveal the character of Christ. And so this is a call for us to humbly evaluate not the church but ourselves. With the other, we need to reject, or we need to, to evaluate to inspect the church. Are we serving Christ as King? But, but with regard to this, we each need to evaluate ourselves. Am I trusting in Christ alone for my salvation? Am I seeking to repent of my sins? Am I striving to grow in righteousness? Am I myself personally Seeking to love God and to love my neighbor in real, true, concrete ways. Am I doing so day by day by day? Am I seeking to put Christ first and myself last? Am I seeking to put to death the ways of the world and the flesh within me? Paul says to Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned. We've all learned this. We all know this academically, but we need to each ask ourselves, am I doing this? Is the fruit of the gospel... Evident in my life. If it is, praise the Lord. That is all of, all of Christ. Right? That is the work of the Holy Spirit alone. But if not, don't give up. Instead, ask and He will answer. Seek and you will find. Christ loves it when we ask Him to work in our lives, to transform us, to change us. And then believing that He's going to answer, talk to your brothers. Talk to your sisters in the church. Ask for help. Ask for, for mutual accountability. Share with them your struggles. And believe me, they'll share their struggles back. 
But recognize that you're part of a body and that the body was given to help grow you into the image of Christ. Well, there's one last point we need to note. And we'll make it briefly, but we need to pay attention to it nonetheless. Because if there is one aspect of Article 29 that's misunderstood, it's the part about the false church. Just as the true church is neither perfect nor fully pure in this fallen world, so the false church seldom is completely corrupt, although sometimes it looks pretty close to it. So we need to recognize that there's a variation in degrees. Among the true churches, there are some who are extremely faithful, extremely uh, evidently the home of Christ the King. But among the false, there are some that are flat out wicked while others are just lukewarm or misled or deceived. Yet false churches there are. And the true church is emphasized by its worldly counterfeits. Now this calls for caution. Some have made the mistake of claiming that any church lacking Evidently lacking all of the marks of the true church necessarily are the false church. But listen, not all that falls short of what we confess about the true church is necessarily the false church. Think about Reformed Baptists. John MacArthur and the like. Do they get the sacraments wrong? No. That one in particular. Yeah. Does that make them a false church? Not necessarily. They're confessing the gospel. They're striving to serve Christ as king. The word is being proclaimed faithfully. Church discipline is being exercised. And to the degree that they understand it, they're exercising the sacraments faithfully. Well, perfect, no. True, yes. Now to be clear, we should never be content with that situation. We should always be, we should always be reforming, right? We should be seeking out ways where we're falling short of fully obeying the Lord. However, if Christ is preached in a place truly, if His people are clearly there, if He is the one on the throne, then the church of Christ is there despite the impurity that we find within it. And rather than slander that church because of the ways in which they fall short, we should acknowledge them as brothers. We should pray for God to continue working to reform them. And we should love them. Right? We should, we should be praying for the churches in our community. We should be praying for the churches in our region, asking that God would continue to build them up and grow them. However, there are false churches and they can be known. The key to discerning the false church, young people, pay attention to this. Because there will be times when you'll be traveling, maybe to visit friends. Maybe the Lord will call you to go to college, some distant place from which you will come back here, right? Or maybe, maybe He will cause you for a season to take a job somewhere else. And as you're looking at that, discern, trying to discern whether that's God's will for you, one of the things you need to ask is, is there a true church to which I can belong? Because I'm here to tell you, if there's not a true church to which you can belong in that area, then God's probably not calling you there. Right? So you need to be able to discern that. And you especially need to be able to recognize if the body with which you're worshiping, the body you're evaluating, is a false church. And the key to recognizing that is it relies more upon men than upon Christ. Ultimately, the distinction between true church and false is who wears the crown? Does the crown 
belong to Christ or to someone else. The way they bow their knee to others is as varied as the sins men commit. Some turn the, the grace of God into a license for immorality, a sin condemned in Jew. These are the ones who, instead of mourning after sin, mourning over their sin, they celebrate. They celebrate their sin as what identifies them, as what, what makes them who they are. They claim to preach Christ even while glorifying that which Christ despises and hates. Others subject their interpretation of Scripture to the lusts of the flesh or the, the judgments of worldly science. That's what lays behind movements, for instance, to, to nullify the truth of Genesis 1 and 2 and pretend that it doesn't, it doesn't really speak to what actually happened. It just talks to us about spiritual lessons. No! That's compromise. That's putting secular science above the truth of God's Word. Far more obvious are the false churches that flat out abandon God's word in favor of, of greed. Those are the easy ones to see, right? The prosperity gospel ones, the ones that say, if you just do the right things, believe the right things, and make sure you make your check out to me, then whatever you desire, whether wealth or health or, or a good reputation, that'll be yours. That's an easy one. But what about the one that says... You can satisfy God, but still fit in with the world. You can satisfy God, but still commit all the sins that come natural to the flesh. If it says that, if that's what's proclaimed in its midst, it's not the church, it's a lie. The false church is alive and well, and it is poison. And it will continue to live among men until the moment Christ returns. We heard Paul say, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And he assures us in chapter 4, The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. That has infiltrated our Christian colleges, allegedly Christian colleges. And if it's infiltrated our Christian colleges, well, you can guarantee it's infiltrating all of the churches that support them. So we need to expect that we're going to encounter false churches, and folks, we're going to encounter more and more of them. Because as our culture has turned increasingly away from the Christian worldview which once nurtured it, many of those who once held to the same truths to which we hold, well, they'll still exist. They just won't serve Christ. They'll still exist, but they'll be more of a social club, more of a traditional body than an actual church. They will be serving the whims of men. They will be serving the comforts of men. They will be serving the ways of the community, but they will not be serving Christ. And it must not be so for us. When you discern that the one on the throne is not Christ, then you must come out from them, as we read in Isaiah 52. And when you find the true church, 
when you stand as part of the true church and the world mocks you and your neighbor makes fun of you and people urge you to just lighten up. Don't be so focused on the Bible this, the Bible that. Remember what the Apostle says in 2 Thessalonians 2. So then, brothers, stand firm. And hold the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. And may the Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. It is as we stand firm on the truth that has been entrusted to us that we have comfort, that we have life, that we have hope. And when we depart from this, we depart from comfort and life and hope. The church where Christ is king is visible. It's evident. It's clear. But we must look for it. So may God make us to be discerning when we have to seek out a true body of believers in some other location. And as the church, and as members of the church, let us carefully evaluate ourselves. And ask, what are we making visible? What are we revealing to the world? Are they seeing in us as individuals, in us as the church, that Christ is the true King whom we serve? May God make our asking of that question to be profitable. And may He be glorified through this body. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You have made us part of Your church. And we pray that You would help us to be valuable, living members of Your church. Grant that we might never take lightly the calling to reveal the faith 